John 21, 15 through 17. A little bit of backstory uh, right here before we get into this passage. Um, uh, Peter and the disciples were fishing, and while they were fishing, this was after the resurrection, uh, Jesus appeared, uh, did uh, a miracle with them where they caught more fish, uh, like 150-something, and then after that, they met Jesus on the side of the beach and had breakfast with them, uh, and then this conversation happened between Jesus and Peter, so that's what's going on. John 21 Verse 15 says this, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for this passage and this conversation between Jesus and Peter. Uh, and I pray as we um, dig into this, God, that you would just um, reveal your truth to us. God, that you would soften our hearts that your Holy Spirit would move through us, that we might be convicted, that we might um, know better how to be more like you. I pray that as I speak, God, that you would uh, give me clarity, that I can communicate your truth accurately. God's in your son's name, I pray. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Well, when you were younger, um, did you ever get caught by your parents doing something you weren't supposed to? Yeah, we could probably have some fun stories up here if I brought you up here. Well, when I was about in the fourth grade, uh, I remember very distinctly I was with my mom um, running some errands in the car. And uh, we stopped at a store, and my mom said, hey, hang out in the car. I'm going to run in and do a couple of things. I'll be right back. And so my mom went to the store and, you know, what do you do when you're a nine-year-old in a car with nothing to do? Um, this is before the time of phones. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I just started looking through the car and see what I can see. And sure enough, I found a pack of um, uh, matches. And so... <laughs> You know, and what does every, you know, uh, nine-year-old boy want to do with matches? Light them on fire. Um, and so, so I do exactly that. I grab one match, strike it, light it on fire, let it burn a little bit, and then, you know, put it out. And grab another one, strike it on fire, light it, so I'll put it out. Um, and then my mom uh, was coming back out, so I had to go hide the evidence, because obviously I'm, you know, in fourth grade, I shouldn't be playing with matches. And so I uh, hide the evidence, and in my um, very sophisticated, underdeveloped prefrontal nine-year-old cortex, uh, I didn't uh, account for the matches having a smell to them. <laughs> so sure, sure enough, my mom got in the car and immediately looked at me and said, Chris, did you light a match? And I said, no. <laughs> To which she just looked at me a little bit further and said, Chris, did you light a match? And I just broke down crying. 
<laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even try at that point. I was I was just caught, um, man. And uh, it's amazing uh, whenever we're caught doing things that that we shouldn't be doing. Um, our responses to that. Um, I say that to say is uh, that's exactly the situation uh, that's in the text today. Uh, this conversation between uh, Peter and Jesus. Um, Jesus is basically um, setting up the opportunity for repentance with Peter. And if you don't know what's going on, let, let me back up and kind of recount for you what's happened so far. So Peter's one of the 12 disciples. And um, on the night of the Last Supper, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, all of you are going to abandon me. Um, you're not going to stay with me. And Peter, being the outspoken one, uh, steps up and says, listen, I'm not like these guys over here. Um, Like, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I will go to prison for you. I will die for you. And Jesus looks at him and says, not only are you not going to do those things, um, but before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, that's what happened. Uh, Before the rooster crowed, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times. Well, what we see right here, um, and and what I want to focus on in today's conversation with uh, Peter and Jesus, isn't exactly um, what happened before the cross, but what's going to happen after the cross. And so I want to focus particularly on this conversation. Now, it ties into what uh, Peter did uh, before the cross, but but again, the the beautiful part about this conversation is that Jesus is laying the groundwork uh, for Peter to repent and be reconciled with Jesus. And, and, and by the way, that's the beauty of the resurrection. That's the point of the resurrection. Like we just got done um, with Easter last week, and, and that's when we spent a lot of time on the cross and the resurrection. And I just don't want to get too far away from that without just reminding you and ingraining that into your brain is that the whole point of the cross and the resurrection is for us to be reconciled and restored to Jesus. And we see this very first, one of the very first conversations after Um, the resurrection took place, is this very restoration happening. That even in the midst of our sin, we can be offered grace and forgiveness and restoration. That while Peter can uh, deny Jesus three times and then just a few days later be restored to Jesus, in the same way, um, we can uh, be reconciled, offer grace and forgiveness to Jesus in spite of our rejection of him. And so as we dig into today's uh, passage in this conversation between Jesus and Peter, um, I just want to point out to you just four observations that I made in reading this passage. Uh, And those observations are particularly about repentance. And then hopefully we can take what this passage kind of teaches us about repentance and then apply it to our own life because we've all sinned. And the Bible calls for all of us to repent of that sin. And hopefully we can do a similar thing as to what this passage gives. Cool? All right, so four observations on repentance. Let's get into it. So the first observation that uh, I want to uh, point out is that God initiates repentance. Uh, Like it's, uh, I said before that Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity for repentance here, and it's quite amazing how he does it because he almost recreates the scene in which Peter denied him to give him a second shot at that. And so there's a few things that kind of clue us in on that. First off, um, uh, we see uh, the mention of a charcoal fire. So in, in John 18, 18, I think I have the verse up there. 
so this is uh, the passage where Peter denied Jesus three times. So it says this in John 18, 18. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves and Peter was standing with them warming himself. So that's the scene where Peter denied Jesus. Now fast forward, this is just a few verses before the passage we just read where Peter is um, talking with Jesus in John 21, 9. It says this, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. How many times do you think it mentions charcoal fire in the Gospels? Two times, and these are the two times it is. Is it coincidence? I don't think so. I think Jesus is being very intentional here um, in that uh, as he sits down with Peter, he's, again, almost recreating the scene in which Peter denied him to give him a second shot and to repent of that. Uh, The other thing that we see is that um, Peter denied him three times. In the passages that we just read, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Almost, again, giving him a shot of redemption to... to, um, Uh, to counter the denials. Now, I find it really interesting that Jesus is the one initiating the repentance here, right? Because, Because Peter is the one that sinned. Peter is the one that wronged Jesus. So shouldn't it be that that Peter is the one approaching Jesus seeking out forgiveness? That's not what happens. Jesus is the one that's seeking out Peter. Now, why is that? Well, in short, when it comes to us working out and restoring our relationship with God, we will not be the first ones to take the step. We will always um, sit back and hide in this. And, and the, the Bible's pretty clear on this, is that, that what we're good at is sinning against God, rejecting God, and then hiding from God. And what God is good at is being the one to take the first step here. And we see this Um, illustrated perfectly in the Garden of Eden. So in the Garden of Eden, um, uh, God created Adam and Eve, put them all in this garden, and then said, hey, um, you can eat from any tree except this one tree. You can't eat from this. Well, what do they do? They immediately eat the fruit from the tree. And then what do they do after that? They clothe their shame. They try to cover their shame, hide from each other, and then hide from God. They didn't they didn't go calling out to God saying, God, we messed up. Like how many times have your kids come to you and said, I messed up? <laughs> no, not very often. <laughs> um, they hid from God. It wasn't until God came down and started seeking them out that they finally responded and came to God. And then that, and, um, that process of reconciliation could take place. The same is true for Peter. The same is true for me and you. That if we're left to our own devices, we will never seek out God. God has to take the first step. And luckily that happens. And um, so the question is, how does God take that first step today? How does God initiate repentance in us today? And, and long story short, it's conviction. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And, and at some point we've all felt conviction and sorrow over our sin. And that is a work of God. Like, like don't, don't belittle that. That is a work of God in your life. Uh, John 16, 8 says this. It says, uh, this is Jesus talking about the Spirit. And it says, when he, the Spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So without the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life, you will not go to God at all. 
Now, I don't want to get too deep into that because we're going to talk a little bit more about conviction uh, in just a moment, but, but I just want to point out to you and, and make that first observation in this passage is that Jesus is the one that initiated the repentance for Peter, and uh, also uh, Jesus is the one that initiates repentance for us as well. Okay? So that's the first observation. Second observation I want to make in this passage is that repentance requires you to face your sin. John 21, uh, this is the passage for today. Let's read it again. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. The second time he asked him, John, uh, sorry, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here's the important part. Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Now, why is it all of a sudden that Peter was grieved the third time that Jesus said, do you love me? Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's because that's when it clicked in Peter's mind that, oh no, I know exactly what Jesus is doing here. I know what Jesus is, is calling out here. See, the, the interesting thing is, and, and I don't think we realize this, is that there's no indication in the Bible that Peter knew that Jesus knew that he had denied him three times. Does that make sense? There's no indication that Peter thought that Jesus knew that he denied him. In fact, Peter probably thought that no one knew. I believe that Peter would have been fully content taking that to the grave and not telling anyone that he had denied him. Now you may say, uh, well, Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him three times, so wouldn't Peter know that Jesus knew? I think you're giving the disciples a little bit too much credit here. Uh, the disciples prove over and over again that they're pretty dense, and that they, they don't piece together everything that, that Jesus knows. In fact, just a few verses uh, before this, after Jesus had resurrected, it tells us that the disciples still didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the grave. They're pretty dense. They're not the sharpest tools in the shed. Um, so, so I don't think Peter knew that Jesus knew. And when Jesus said, do you love me the third time, he was grieved by that because I think it clicked in his mind. Oh no, I'm caught. Oh no, Jesus knows that I did this. And, and what that does is it brings Peter's sin into the light. It makes Jesus have to um, deal with his sin rather than bury it. Because again, that, that's what we like to do. When we sin, we like to hide it. We like to conceal it. But that's not the way repentance works, and that's not the way that Jesus works. So Jesus is very intentional here in making uh, Peter come face to face with his sin in that. Which brings us to the question of like, what sin do you have in your life that you're trying to conceal? What sin do you need to bring into the light and face? How many of you have kids that are old enough that you can tell them to clean their room? Yeah, okay. Does that work well? <laughs> okay. Um, so when I was a kid, my mom would tell me to go clean my room. And uh, I would go into my room, and uh, I, I was allowed to have food in my room, so you can imagine the mess that that was. Uh, so I would go into my room and, um, you know, the proper way to clean your room is to put everything back where it goes. 
In my mind, the proper way to clean my room was to shove everything under the bed, right? And to shove everything in the closet and um, not to gross you out, but I was a pretty gross kid. Uh, and so like I would have food that instead of taking it to the trash, I just shove it under the bed. <laughs> and then, you know, six weeks later, there's a smell and an organism growing out from under the, the, the bed. Well, I shove all that and on the surface, it looks really clean, right? And so then my mom says, hey, have you cleaned your room? And I said, sure have. Look at it. It's beautiful. And then she comes in there, opens the closet. Whoosh, everything falls out, looks under the bed, and it's like so covered in stuff that you can't even see under it anymore. And I think a lot of us treat sin the same way. I think a lot of us are really good at making us look good on the outside. But on the inside, we're just a mess. And we're just, just shoving things into a corner and we're concealing things. And, and let, let me tell you this, is um, that is not the way that Christ calls us to live our lives. Christ calls us in our repentance to bring our sin into the light, to confess our sin to God and to confess our sin to others. First John uh, 1 says, if we confess our sins uh, to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us. James 5 says, if we confess our sins to others, um, or we confess our sins to others to get healing from that. God is calling us to confess our sin to him and to others. Now, here's the thing. I think a lot of us are really good about confessing our sins to God, right? Like, like we'll sit in a dark room after we do something bad and be like, God, we good? But we're really bad about confessing our sins to others. We think that's between me and God. And, and if I don't know where you got that because when I read the Bible, it talks a lot about how um, we're not only supposed to confess our sin to God, but to each other. And that's why we stress um, uh, very heavily this, this idea of small groups here because um, you need, every Christian needs a group of godly people in their life whom they trust that they can sit down with and say, hey, I screwed up. Hey, I messed up here. And you need some people um, who uh, will speak hard truths to you. You need some people who will encourage you and admonish you in that. And, and let me tell you this. If you can't even confess the small things to each other, there's no chance you're going to confess the big things to each other. It amazes me. Um, every, seems once a month, there's a uh, big-named uh, Christian guy who uh, a gigantic sin in his life is revealed. And it, it just breaks my heart. Um, one of the, the most recent ones that, that really kind of shook me a little bit was Ravi Zacharias. Um, man, uh, if there was anyone that I thought was a humble man of God, it was Ravi Zacharias. And then when he passed away this past year, um, a few months after that, it came to light that he had a whole ton of sexual affairs. And that doesn't happen overnight. And if you have people in your corner um, who uh, you are confessing your sin to in the little things, then they'll have a hard time growing into those big things. So I'm not so, so dense and so ignorant to know that there's probably people in this room who are concealing sin that they've had in their life for decades. And let me just encourage you uh, in repentance, um, you may have confessed it to God, but a full repentance isn't just confessing it to God, but confessing it to others also for healing. So let me encourage you in that. So that's the second observation um, that I want to make here is that um, repentance requires you to face your sin and not bury your sin. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, so John 21, uh, 17, so this is the last verse in that passage. 
Um, he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. And so we see here not only that Peter um, was made aware that his sin was out in the open, um, but he was grieved by that. And like rightly so, he should be grieved, right? Um, it's like whenever you sin against God, to have a little bit of grief and sorrow over that is a really good thing. We also call that conviction, right? Um, now, the, the question isn't, um, should you not have grief in your life? But the question is, what role does grief play in our life? And, and that leads us to the, the third observation, is that grief should lead you to repentance. When Peter became fully aware of his sin and that Jesus knew, he could have done a number of different things with that. Like he could have just buried it and pretend like it wasn't there. Um, he could have justified it. He could have said, you know, Jesus, you don't understand. There were people surrounding me. And if I even like said, I knew you, they would have killed me with you. Uh, he could have justified it. He could have pretended like he was on Jesus' side on that because Jesus told Peter, he's like, hey, you're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. And so Peter could have just said, Jesus, if I would have said I knew you, they would have killed me and that would have thwarted your plan. I don't want to thwart your plan. I, I, I want to stay alive so that way the church can be built on you. There's a ton of different ways that Peter could have justified the sin in his life because of his grief but he didn't do that. What, what Peter did was he allowed that grief to weigh on him and then it pushed him to repentance in Jesus. It pushed him to confess his love to Jesus. And that's what it's supposed to do. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. So we all experience grief in our life. Like when we sin, we have a grief and a sorrow over that sin. And what the Bible says is there's two ways that grief can go. It can go a godly way or it can go a worldly way. The, the, the differentiation between those is where it's going to lead you. Um, if your grief leads you to repentance, then it's a godly grief because it's doing the, what it's supposed to do. If your grief leads you to conceal it and let it turn into shame, that's going to lead you to death, and that's a worldly grief. And, and this is perfectly illustrated between Peter and Judas. So a few weeks ago, whenever Pastor Lee was um, teaching on Judas, um, he brought up the question of like, well, people ask like, okay, so Peter also denied Jesus. Why is it that Peter was restored, but Judas wasn't restored? And, and it's this exact thing. Both of them were grieved by what they did. But one of them allowed that grief to push them to Jesus. The other one uh, allowed that grief to seek out any kind of relief other than Jesus. So Judas did everything he could to get this guilt and shame off of his shoulders. He threw the money back to the people that paid him. Um, and it led him eventually to just taking his own life because he just didn't know what to do with the guilt anymore. That's a worldly grief. And so you might be a person here today that has felt the full weight of conviction for your sin on your life, but you're not doing anything with it. If you're going to feel the weight and the sorrow of your sin, at least allow it to push you to repentance. Because that's what it's meant to do. Most of us do the opposite. 
Most of us, when we feel conviction, we just bury it and we hide it, and we find any way in the world to, to make the shame go away. And let me just tell you, um, you might be able to learn to live with it, but it's just going to become a weight on your shoulders. And, uh, you know, from working with students and working in ministry, I've talked with enough people um, to, to see the burden of sin on someone's life. I've talked to people that um, at the beginning of the conversation, it's like a timid, tension-filled conversation where, where they're about to tell me something that, that they haven't told anyone in years. And it's really interesting. It, it always goes the same. At the beginning of the conversation, it's very heavy and very weighty. And by the end of the conversation, it's almost like a 5,000-pound brick was lifted off their shoulder. All of a sudden, they can smile again because all of a sudden, someone else knows about their sin other than God. And they're allowing their grief to push them towards repentance. And here's the, the scary thing in that is that um, grief and conviction in our life is like an alarm going off inside of you. It's an alarm telling you that the way that you are living is living in direct contradiction with the Holy God. That's what grief is. Now here's the, the scary part, is that if you allow that alarm to go off in you for long enough without acknowledging it, what will happen is um, uh, you will become more and more numb to that alarm and what the Bible describes it as a process of hardening will come upon you. Meaning that um, with every time you brush off the conviction of the Holy Spirit, your heart is growing more and more calloused to it, to the point that you don't even feel conviction over your sin anymore. And let me tell you, that's a scary place to be when you could just sin and you don't even feel bad about it anymore. It's like, um, I've been playing guitar for about 15 years and um, uh, whenever uh, I first started playing and whenever I talk to anyone who's first started playing guitar, uh, one of the hardest things that they run into is being able to hold the strings down because those, those are steel strings and they're, they're pretty small. And those steel strings are, are being held at such a tension that when you place your fingers on it, those strings just start to dig into your fingers and it just starts to hurt. And it gets to the point where you can't even hold it down anymore. Well... After 15 years of playing guitar, um, I've had calluses build up on my fingers. And so I can play guitar just fine now. It doesn't hurt me at all. I don't even feel the strings digging into my fingers because there's a callus built up that's stopping that pain from going through. That exact same thing happens to our hearts. I mean, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of a sin and you just ignore it, your heart's just going to go more and more and more calloused until you don't even realize it anymore. You don't even feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore. Let me just give you some hope um, that if that's you, if you're a person that has just been concealing your sin for so long that you don't even feel bad about it anymore, um, you're not too far gone. That just as the Bible says you can be hardened in your sin, the Bible also says that you're not so far gone that you can't be saved that, that um, God is standing there uh, with arms stretched open, waiting for you to come back to him, calling you to come back to him. All you do is have to answer it. So again, the, 
the grief in our life, the conviction in our life is supposed to point us to something and that's supposed to point us to repentance. Okay. One last observation on this passage and, and we'll end it right here uh, is that um, not only will, not only does God initiate repentance, um, not only does repentance cause you to face your sin, not only does grief point you to repentance or should grief point you to repentance, but the fourth and final one is that uh, repentance will lead you to follow Jesus. And so, uh, here's a few verses after that very last time that Peter told him they loved him. In verse 18, it says this, Truly I tell you, this is Jesus talking, Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your own belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. So th- this kind of makes me laugh a little bit um, because we have Peter who just got done um, for the third time saying, Jesus, you know I love you. He just got done being, being reconciled with Christ. Uh, and the first thing that, that Jesus says to him is, hey, oh, by the way, when you're old, you're going to die for me. And then the even crazier thing after that is he said, follow me. And the even crazier thing to that is Peter followed him. It's like, remember, this is the same Peter who, um, when just pressed a little bit on the night of the crucifixion, if he knew Jesus or not, he crumbled. How does that guy go from that to uh, being able to stare death in the face and be a proponent of the gospel for the rest of his life? How does that, how does that guy go from one extreme to the other? And the answer is the resurrection. That's the whole point of the resurrection is that Peter was able to stare Jesus in the face. The man who died and came back to life. Prior to the crucifixion, Peter was like, Jesus is dying. I don't want to die. But after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, Peter is like, if he can resurrect, then he must have some power. And if he can die and be brought back to life, then surely so can I. And so when Jesus says to Peter, listen, you're going to have a long life. And at the end of your life, you're going to die for me. Come follow me. Peter gladly followed him. And that's what repentance should do. Whenever you're reconciled to Christ, whenever you have a repentant heart, it should lead you to then follow Jesus wherever he calls you to do. And, And Jesus is calling all of us somewhere. I don't know if Jesus is calling you to be um, crucified. Likely he's not. In reality, he's probably not even calling you to necessarily be persecuted in any significant sense. But he's calling you to do something. He's calling you to be a proponent of the gospel to the people around you. He's calling you to have a life full of meaning and purpose. And man, if we can just answer that call, gosh, how how different would our life be? There's a guy um, who used to go here uh, a number of years ago named Roger Corbin. Um, Some of y'all probably know him. If you know anything about Roger, uh, he's a larger-than-life kind of guy, um, super godly man. Um, he's just one of those guys that, that you know, makes you feel good when you talk to him. You, know, you feel like the most important person in the room. And I went to lunch with Roger um, one time, and we just sat there for an hour, two hours, and he just 
told me story after story after story after story where he felt God calling him and leading him to do something and he answered that call. And man, these were just amazing stories. These were those kinds of stories that I went home and asked myself, why don't I have stories like that? And it's probably because I'm not answering the call of Jesus the same way that he is. Do you want your life to have meaning and purpose and adventure? And, and do you want to be able to look back on your life and tell story after story to your kids and to your grandkids of how God is leading you to do something and God's faithfulness in you doing that? Well, you got to follow him. You got to take seriously whenever he calls you to do something to do it. And if we can do that, man, we would be a people um, on fire for God, telling amazing stories to people. And then people will look in on that and say, man, I wish my life was like that. I wish I was able to do that. And then, man, what an opportunity for the gospel. Let me pray that we answer that call. God, I thank you um, for your word. And I thank you, God, that that through this conversation that we get such a depiction of your grace and your forgiveness. God, that we can sin against you time and time and time again, but you were ready, um, waiting there, initiating um, us coming back to you. God, I pray for, for anyone in this room who's who has a heavy heart, who has a hardened heart, who has a calloused heart, who has been sinning for so long that they don't even realize it's sin anymore. God, I just pray that their heart would be softened for just a moment. God, that they would feel the weight of your conviction and then bring it to light and confess it to you, confess it to others. I pray that you would be at work in this room. We're going to have just a quick time of uh, invitation here. And during this time, uh, we're, we're going to sing a song, and you are more than welcome to just sing. But, but whatever God is laying on your heart, this is your time to just do something about that. Maybe you just need to pray to yourself right there. Maybe you need to pray with your spouse, your kids, a friend. Maybe you need to come up to the altar and pray. Maybe you need prayer. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you need to talk more about who this Jesus is and, and the grace and forgiveness that, that he gives you. Maybe you've been burying something for years and you just need to share it with someone. If we can just stand together, if we can all stand up. Again, we're gonna sing and this time is for you. Whatever God is calling you to do, this is your time.